stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick, and this week I'm joined by Zach's senior strategist, Kevin Cook, to talk about what else? The 2022 stock market sell-off, what you should be doing or not doing. Should you be selling all your stocks? Should you be buying more? What should you be doing? Kevin has been on the show many times over the past years talking about these very issues and several times already here in 2022. But now that we have seemingly seen further selling off here in the fall We're into October 2022 now, and uh, we're hitting some of those new lows for the year. I felt like he needed to come back on to give us some of his ultimate wisdom and advice about what is going on out there. Maybe, you know, some uh, tips on what we should be doing or, again, not doing because uh, this sell-off is a doozy. It is one of the worst starts to the year. Uh, There's only been four others that have been worse than this one. I don't need to tell you this. We all feel it, right? S&P 500 down over 25% year to date. And those growth stocks still really getting hammered, including the Fang Mans and even uh, some, some of the top ones like Apple starting to crack a bit here in 2022. So Kevin's here to help us, offers advice on all of these things, because times are changing, Kevin, it seems, and a lot of us don't know what to do. There are a lot of investors who are listening today who have never experienced anything like this. Uh, Even the pandemic sell-off in 2020 was nothing like this. It was only, you know, three weeks. It was like 21 days or something. And then it started rebounding and, you know, didn't look back. So, so where to begin? Where, where should we start? Yeah, the, uh, this market has been basically the slow grind lower, right? Even where S&P is down 25%, but it took us over six months to get there. Um, So it's, uh, it's been, it's been painful to watch the slow bleed. And then you know, you try and buy the dips, you know, unless you time the rally, you know, you know, or you're really good at picking your stocks. Um, there's been a lot of falling, falling knives to catch and fingers. Yeah. To lose. So I, I saw in the news a couple of days ago that Exxon ticker XOM, uh, its market cap has now overtaken that of meta platforms for the first time in five years. It is now bigger market cap than meta formerly known as Facebook. And I, I thought about that cause I felt like that was kind of a sign. Like it was a big headline. Some people were kind of, you know, joking, like chuckling about it. Ha ha. Oh, Exxon it's surging back. But the last time Exxon surged back was also during a big stock sell-off. And that was in 2000 to 2002, the dot-com bust years. And that's when growth also sold off. So going into the dot-com bust, of course, the most valuable, you know, largest market cap company was Microsoft and along with Cisco. Um, and both of those faltered in those years to come and 
along with General Electric, I was surprised to see also up there, even though I knew that it had surged in the late 90s, but I didn't realize it, it too was on the list of the most val valuable of that time. And as those stocks sold off, Exxon was in the midst of a new bull with oil prices starting to rise there to start that decade. And so by 2002, it was ranked up there along with Microsoft and GE as the most valuable company. And then it was kind of back and forth as Microsoft shares faltered some more and GE faltered, Exxon's did not. And by 2006, Exxon had overtaken all the others to be the most valuable company and remain there, interestingly, until 2011. So longer than I would have thought. I knew it lasted through 2008 because that's when crude peaked at above $150 a barrel. But I didn't realize people stuck around in the stack uh, past 2008 up through <clears throat> 2011. But here we are you know, over 10 years later and Exxon kind of left for dead as all of energy has been, is being talked about again in these ways about market cap and earnings and, you know, even its dividend yield. And so I don't know, what, what do you think about when you see things like this with some of these formerly uh, out of favor stocks, you know, overtaking some of the fangmans? Well, <laughs> I mean, you know, we could say that past is prologue and compare stuff to the year 2000, but um, I kind of rather not just because I think that technology is in a different era. But okay. as far as Exxon goes, you know, this, this uh, you know, this perfect storm of the war in Europe and, and what it's done to oil prices. And then um, didn't the Saudis just uh, OPEC just agree to cut production? The well, weekend? they haven't agreed yet as of this okay. recording, but they yeah, are so. meeting to discuss it. Yes. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, I was going to get gas the other day, and then and um and then I turned around, it's like up a quarter. I'm like, what's going yeah. on here? <laughs> right, right. So, um, but um, you know that that was sort of a perfect storm. It's like we we we're we've been worried about the supply chain dynamics, um, ever since the tariffs of a few years ago, and then. Uh, you know, pandemic and yeah. like the supply chain dynamics didn't really hurt until the war got going, you know, and then oil commodity prices spike. And so yeah. that's been a, that's been a, a thorn in the side for for equity investors. Um, the only other thing I'll say about energy, since I'm I don't follow it as closely as you, is I just ordered this new book that's really exciting. It's called Fossil Future by Alex Epstein. And I'll just read you the, the subtitle. Why Global Human Flourishing Requires More Oil, Coal, and Natural Gas, Not Less. Wow. So it's it's okay. the hardcore energy argument that, you know, we're still a fossil fuel-driven economy and, you know, and it's the key to growth. And, you know, it's uh, a guy like this is going to make the moral argument that until every third world country is out of third world poverty, you know, we need to exploit the power of fossil fuels as much as possible. Yeah. So I'm, I'm excited to get this book and dive into it. I just ordered it yesterday. Okay, cool. I'll link to it for those who uh, can find the article to this podcast. I'll link to the book so you can check it out. Yeah, and this is the guy, um, I don't know that much about him, but apparently 
He's a uh, the best-selling author of The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels, which I think is you know that argument that until everybody's out of poverty, we need to exploit fossil fuels as much as we can because it's the you know it's the cheapest source of energy. Um, you know, we're seeing that now with with really what it costs to run an electric vehicle and the infrastructure that needs to be built for EVs. All right, but back so, to the growth stock meltdown, yes, right? Yes, back to back to Fangman <laughs> after that. Um, so what do I do with the Fangman stocks? So in full disclosure, I own some of them in my own personal portfolio, but I did sell my Meta stock a couple of months ago. Don't remember when exactly, kind of early summer maybe, because uh, I just don't believe in the metaverse. And so <laughs> the more I talked about it on various podcasts, I was like, you know what? I hate the metaverse. So I don't want to own this company. So I, I got <laughs> out of there and I had been an owner of shares for about nine years. And it's been a number of years since I had bought any shares, but I just felt like I could no longer believe in the company. But so, did you own Facebook uh, because of the advertising model, which is the, which is their bread and butter. You know, when you right. go to 30 billion in revenues, it's because they have access to 2 billion plus eyeballs or pairs right. of eyeballs that, um, that businesses love being able to buy ads and target. And so that was your, that was your argument for owning it, right? Yes. I, I originally hated Facebook. Um, I still kind of do the, the actual platform right. of Facebook. Of course. And yeah, so whatever. I never owned it originally, but then they bought Instagram and I, you know, I w actually was not on Instagram until recently, but everybody else was. And I loved the concept of Instagram of taking a picture and, you know, sharing like, you know, things going on around you, you know, beauty, nature, all of that stuff through Instagram. And so I bought it for that. And it turned out to be a good bet because look how they've grown yeah. that business. And then yeah. the advertising side of it. Yeah. So all I'll say is that if you still believe in the advertising model, um, you know, even if you hate the metaverse, you know, that's just the next evolution of targeting ads towards people, you know, and it's going to be like this derivative of the way things are now so but you don't need to worry about it because my big picture is that stocks are going to go lower still okay um, and that the those stocks will get cheaper too now we're having a nice yeah. rally today here on monday but um you know the the there's more pain to come because my big picture is even if we don't go into a recession there are just two big forces working against stocks. And one is rising interest rates, regardless of even if inflation peaks right now, the, the Fed is just committed to going ahead and hiking rates. And then earnings are still decelerating. Now we've just entered October, so we're gonna start to get earnings reports in a few weeks that'll tell us what Q3 was like and what Q4 could be like. Um, but Q3 saw a huge deceleration in earnings where, you know, analysts are usually having to revise their models anyway, like they make projections several quarters out and then they fine tune them once you get into a quarter because they look at the company, they look at the industry, they look at the economy and then they they start scaling back They're like, oh, we were, yeah, of course, we we're a little too too optimistic. 
But the downward revisions that happen in EPS estimates in July and August, the first two months of Q3, were um, were big. Like compared to the average, it was like over like five and a half percent down for the whole S and P market, um, wow. and so that was pretty big. And we could see more of that. So, what does that mean for investors then? Put it into like more of a a layman's term. What does it okay, mean so, if the earnings so, are decelerating like that? So, you know, for a lot, I mean, people got used to interest rates being really low. You know, the you know, the ten year went below two percent and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and then we're finally in this sustained environment where interest rates are moving higher. Well, that's a that's a key component of what the valuation for stocks is. We always talk about the PE for stocks, right? What's the price earnings ratio and, and what does that tell us? And we can even do that for the whole market. We can put a PE on the S&P 500. Um, and I'll tell you that it, the S&P 500 was expensive and did need to correct. You know, at the beginning of this year, the PE was over 20. Um, and now it's down to, let's say 16, uh, maybe, yeah, let's, let's just call it 16. Okay. But um, the PE by itself doesn't give you enough information about uh, whether the stock market is cheap or expensive. You need to know where interest rates are and where they're headed, as well as where earnings are headed. And the one place that interest rates are headed is up. So that's a key yeah. you know, cost of capital component that most people don't look at. And um, um, I do... A, I like to play with the math, something called the equity risk premium, which is, you know, uh, the 10-year um, note from the treasury is considered your risk-free rate, right? Like, like right. Where, where somebody can, you know, park their money and be guaranteed they're going to get their money back. I mean, the U.S. has never really defaulted on their bonds, so we trust that we're going to get our money back and we're going to lock in that rate, so we don't worry about it too much. So that's why it's called the risk-free rate, U.S. Treasuries. Well, if that rate is at four percent, um, we need to we need to find a way to compare what you could earn in stocks. Now, stocks should yield more than that based on their earnings because stocks have risk. Risk-free rate doesn't have risk. Stocks have risk. So there's this little thing called the equity risk premium where you you flip the PE around on the S&P 500. So let's say the PE is is 16. Well, um, you flip it around and you get get this number that's expressed in percent called the earnings yield. So if we flip 16, take the inverse of 16, we get like 6.2%. So that's the earnings yield on the S&P. Now we have something to compare to the risk-free rate. Well, the difference between 6.2%, the earnings yield of the S&P, and 4%, the risk-free rate on the 10-year, is only 2.2%. Now, investors have to ask themselves, so that's the extra compensation I'm getting for the risk of owning stocks. Is that enough? Well, it might be. I mean, it sounds, you know, it sounds good, but it's actually, historically, it's been better. Like you, you should get paid more for owning risky stocks versus the risk-free rate of treasuries. And the trouble is, is that that equity risk premium keeps getting smaller 
because it has two things pushing against it at once, higher interest rates and decelerating earnings that we talked about. You know, so earnings are still coming down and interest rates are still rising. We got the Fed committed to pushing rates higher. If the Fed, uh, so let's say the, the Fed's at three and a quarter right now, if they do another 75 basis points this year, then we're at 4% on the Fed funds short rate. And that's going to push the 10 year higher and or the or the yield curve could just invert, right? We could have 4% Fed funds and a 3.75 10 year and then you've got an inverted yield curve, which isn't great either. Um, so, the, you know, the bond market, the farther out on the curve is always going to predict whether or not inflation has peaked. But uh, those dynamics, you know, are not that favorable for stocks. And so and and the reason this is important is because institutional investors have to look at they, they do this math this math called the equity risk premium that i just did and i'm going to publish an article um on wednesday so whenever you're getting this podcast look on zach.com on wednesday i'll have an article that that details this math the equity risk premium uh, but institutions do this math in their models because they have to know you know whether the market is cheap or dear and and it's based on the direction of interest rates and the direction of earnings. Just last week, BlackRock came out and so much is said, and I quote, we shun most stocks. BlackRock said that. The largest asset manager in the universe with 10 trillion under management said, we shun most stocks. And the reason they said that is because they think that central banks are committed to stamping out inflation and and they won't look back. They'll just keep raising rates until we're, they'll basically risk a recession. And that's because the Fed messed up and they got behind the curve. So uh, would you tell most investors not to buy any kind of, you know, this dip if we get, well, we have kind of gotten a dip here to, to stay on the sidelines, to try to market yeah, time it? I would say be very cautious. You know, okay. listen, if it depends on your time frame, like I love Nvidia right here at 125 bucks. Yeah. So longer term, yeah, I want to be a buyer of Nvidia at 125 dollars for the long term. Um, but if my time frame is only this possible bounce, then yeah, you've got to be a more nimble trader. So I don't mind buying Nvidia at 125 bucks um, as part of the Fang Man Club. And maybe yeah. even some Apple. You know, Apple took a big hit because they got downgraded. Uh, you know, and that's just a that's just a call. It was a global call by Bank of America on you know the consumer, and yeah. uh, you know Apple is so leveraged to you know to to those moves. But you know, longer term, um, uh, you know, Apple is going to own the augmented reality space and and their own designs on the metaverse. So. Long term, yeah, I'd be nibbling at stocks here, but um, I still think they're going to go lower, and you're going to so you're going to get plenty of chances to dollar cost average at good at good levels. Um, so my original question when we kind of started the podcast was, should you be selling all of your Fangmans and growth stocks here? So based on just what we've discussed, it sounds like your answer would be no. That's correct. Yeah, I would say yeah. no. Don't don't you know. Like, and you and I debated this a couple of weeks ago for Zach's ultimate uh, subscribers were, you know, basically the, I posed the question that, you know, is our growth stocks dead in the water? And yeah. um, you, 
said in the affirmative they are. And I said, well, I, I still believe in the technology super cycle here that that we're that we're still in prime of exponential technologies like NVIDIA uh, and like what Apple's going to do next uh, and like what Google's capable of and that um, these companies create wealth basically out of thin air with new technology platforms and that will keep going for another 10 years, I think. So, um, so you still will be able to invest in these growth stocks, but right now, you know, they're all taking a big hit. And uh, so, so the short term is uh, a little bit rough, but, uh, yeah. but they'll come back. Uh, what do you think about dividend stocks? I know a lot of people are into them right now because some of them are some real nice yields now, not even just, you know, 4%. I'm talking like six, seven, eight percent yields. Should I be seeking out that kind of uh, thing while all this kind of chaos is going on? Yeah, With the as, understanding, as, yeah, sorry. As part of a balanced portfolio, definitely. Um, you know, right. if you get yield where you can, right? And uh, Warren Buffett wrote the Bible here on basically cash flow investing, you know, you want to buy steady cash flows. And uh, so I think it's, it's definitely a part of a balanced investing strategy, especially when you've got these pressures of rising rates. And when stocks are, you know, stocks that are, you know, talked about some 4% yields, now's the time when stocks are down that you're going to find these, these better yields. So you're getting paid to invest, take risk, and dollar cost average in. What do you think about the banks here? They're not really doing what I thought they would be doing with the Fed, you know, raising rates this aggressively. Yeah. <laughs> they're going the other way. I thought they, I thought they would rally here and they're not. Yeah, it's interesting. And, the, and, and I wonder if that's a recession forecast that. Right. You know, um, one of my favorite economists is Brian Westbury of First Trust. And he put out another note this week where he says, you know, uh, he thinks a recession is still distant. Um, so that's encouraging. And I and he's very focused and data centric and consistent. Um, so I kind of put my trust in his model that 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 a recession is very distant. And and he's got a probability like, you know, one in three that we completely avoid one. So. Um, but, uh, but you see, you see the, these recession fears getting priced in, in all these areas. And, um, so I, I think that the S and P could easily go to 3,200. So okay. that's over 10% lower from here after today's rally. And, uh, and, and if interest rates and expectations rates continue to stay high like you know all of a sudden the feds at four percent 10 year goes to four and a half percent then stocks will go even lower but what we yeah. got you know we're, we're talking ahead of q3 earnings and that's what we're really interested in not just to see what the q3 report cards were but what the outlooks are and right. what the what the concerns are, what the worries are of CEOs, and also what the excuses are, right? So if they, you know, they're going to have excuses about, well, this is happening in our business, and we have to do this, and you know, look for signs of uh, 
of them <laughs> belt, belt tightening on costs or hiring. Oh, and then that gives us the outlook for basically the next six months. And then if analysts feel like they're on the wrong side of that, what are they going to do? They're going to come out and clobber estimates and lower price targets. Right. Just like uh, the Bank of America analysts getting ahead of things on Apple and downgrading them. So stocks that may appear cheap right now likely are not. Yeah. Forward. I mean, that's a Just good rule of thumb. Yeah. When, yeah. When, the, when the two, when you have those two forces pushing against equity valuations, rising rates and falling earnings, something that looks cheap, uh, you know, isn't because you're, you're not, you're not seeing the direction it's going and the speed of a deceleration in earnings or the speed of the acceleration in interest rates. What do you, what's your take on the healthcare area while all this is playing out? Because a lot of people are going into that sector kind of for safety, or at least there are in areas like the health insurers. Like I, I keep hearing like, you know, buy United Healthcare, buy Centene, like these yeah. uh, insurers. And is, is that a place where I should be well, looking or is it too late? Like a lot of those have been holding up pretty well and you know, they're not seeing the big Yeah. Problem. I mean, that's the, so that's a sort of a, an institutional perspective of, you know, when they have to move large amounts of money uh, and they don't want the risk of energy. They don't like the way financials are looking. Yeah, healthcare is like, you know, sort of a safe haven. Right. Everything else is you know, technology is in the toilet. <laughs> Banks are iffy, and energy is too risky. Yeah, healthcare is creates that sort of safe haven. What I liked as a healthcare investor was um, that uh, biotechnology had a double bottom in June and it's it's really held up well. So it like okay. while the rest of the market was making new lows here in September, the September swoon, I called it, uh, biotechnology held up. And you know, and then we just had great big news last week with uh, Biogen, uh, you know, fantastic data in Alzheimer's um, and yeah. that that stock shot up 40%. So, you know, I'm not saying that uh, that large investors are running to biotech necessarily. You mentioned healthcare broadly, you know, so yeah. insurers and and uh, and providers. But you know, biotech is an area I just look at on a stock specific basis too, and and for some reason, I mean, it, it already had a big correction, you know, like uh, <laughs> you know. Like like the the investor who shall not be named right now, Kathy Wood, um, Mark, you know, has been clobbered in all that stuff. You know, she's the, in tech and in risky biotech. Um, so you you know, got to really be careful and pick your spots. Not many people are talking about Kathy right now. <laughs> do you do you see that as kind of a sign? Well, or a good maybe a good one kind of. Yeah, I mean, and people, you know, people love to gossip and pick on the fallen star, right? It's like a, right. it's like the, you know, the, the athlete who's in a slump, right? Yeah. yeah. You get enough people calling from the cheap seats about, ah, oh, you're a bum, and uh, so you know, she had her glory day, and then she been much criticized, and the what will be interesting is how well she sticks to her thesis in her plan and you know, 
And I think what she has going for, correct me if I'm wrong, because I know you follow this pretty closely too, is that because she's got the ETF model, um, you know, she's not she's not beholden to uh, like any single one large investor, you know, uh, calling for redemptions. Right. You know, so it's, it, things are her flows are are more stable uh, because it you know so many retail investors can can pile into the strategies too. Right. Um, that is what's kind of interesting about Arc K. Although I haven't seen the more recent numbers from this fall yet, but money has been flowing into it instead of out of it. But I'm waiting for the time where more money starts flowing out than going in. So we'll see off the flagship, at least. It has been flowing out of some of our other secondary ones. I, I see the shares are, you know, getting down there again, trying to test that 52 week low again but are down 65% over the past year now. Um, so it, it has been a rough ride, but it seems, you know, it's not tanking uh, any worse, at least not right now. But based on what your prediction is, seems like it, it's going to. Yeah. Along and with it, everything else, right? And I'm, I was just looking at RK. It really yeah. didn't participate in the rally today with growth. You know, so the yeah. NASDAQ 100 was up over two percent and and rk was barely up half a percent so that's just that's just sort of indicative indicative of of what she owns and i assume tesla is still the largest holding there oh and oh that's why because tesla i just noticed this now tesla Tesla was was down down big today eight eight point six percent today there you go (laughs) right right oh boy um Okay, there's just a lot of moving parts for investors to try to get their hands around right now. Um, yeah, and, and when you say investors, again, it's like, what's your time frame? That's that's something that you and I always like to talk about is what, yeah. should, what should we do during the sell-off? How should we, yeah. and, and, and you and I always agree, hey, you need a plan and you need to define your time frames. So yeah. and the, the simple question I love to ask is, what kind of money is this? Is it five-year money, 10-year money, 20-year money? If it's 20-year money, I'd be, I, I would be buying more stocks than I was six months ago. Um, but if you're worried about us, uh, I, I need that money to send a kid to college or buy a new house or invest in a business, then right. you need to be more conservative. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's always a good reminder. And I like to tell people that, um, you know, you might want to turn off your phone or don't <laughs> have your portfolio on your phone. You know, you get like these dings, things are right. happening. When when I was on vacation, I don't even have my portfolio on there, but I do have Yahoo Finance, which has some of my Zach's portfolios on there. And so it tracks, you know, the news and it will send me uh, like updates when there's like a new news item about one of the stock tickers. And uh, the Friday where there was a big sell-off on that Friday. I was on vacation and I just like, you know, looked at the phone and then suddenly it's like, ding, 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 ding. And I'm like, what's happening? Like, are these, are these Facebook notifications or Pinterest or like, why all these notifications? And it's even totally turned off. So it's just kind of like a buzz. And then I realized it was Yahoo Finance and the market had just opened and it was telling me the 52 week lows. We're being hit <laughs> on like all of those positions. It was like 20 of them. 
And I was like, okay, I guess this is it. But it does create a sense of anxiety, right? Like, I, I don't want to hear that. Yes. I'm on vacation. Like, I, I know things are bad. I don't need a reminder. So if that is like bothering you, uh, I feel like the phone is kind of your enemy in these situations. And it does cause a lot of anxiety and, you know, more emotional trading than otherwise you may be doing, especially if you're a long-term investor. So I could not, I could not agree more. Um, yeah, you nailed this. I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah. People, the phone is your enemy in this case. That's for sure. You know, that yeah. was, this was part of my research before smartphones back in the early two thousands when I was, uh, when I was an institutional currency trader and I was researching why traders lose money, you know, why 95% of traders lose money. And um, my thesis was your brain wasn't made to trade. And I, I just made up that, right. that handy rhyme. And the reason I said that is because when a, when a day trader is looking at flashing red and green arrows, it stimulates parts of their brain that are not useful for good decisions, <laughs> right? And we, <laughs> right. We, emotion takes over and we lose track of sound probability and we also don't focus on the plan we just yeah. start reacting emotionally so that was my research 20 years ago in the early 2000s and and if you know the the smartphone has made that even worse so right. uh, that's that's definitely great advice to turn off your phone because then you're um, just think about that it, with that incoming data about what's happening today. Should that really affect your long-term plans? Absolutely not. Right. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it was a, a little scary there, a little shaky. <laughs> I do recommend people go into the mountainous areas though, if they really want to escape. <laughs> I was in, I was in New Mexico and we didn't get cell service in a whole bunch of the mountain areas. So I couldn't look at, at see what the stock market was doing, even if I wanted to. And it was wow. very freeing at that point. So if it gets real bad, take a drive, you know, take the high road there. You won't get any signal. You'll feel better. That's, yeah. a, that's great. That's, that's, that's another great perspective, Tracy is like, yeah, if you can, you know, if you can't force yourself to turn off your phone or have right. your, your friend or partner take it away or disable it, right. go somewhere where you can't hear it. I'm just reading a book about um, entrepreneurs who who create like seven figure businesses, and this guy's whole thesis is um, if your if your business is so dependent on what you do for 80 hours a week and you can't take a vacation, then you don't really have a business. You just have a you know a, a job really. So you need yeah. to be able to you need to be able to create systems so that you could actually take a two week vacation and not be looking at your phone and email constantly. Yeah, that's smart. Okay, so I'm going to uh, recap the stocks we talked about today. Um, we did mention Exxon, ticker XOM. The earnings are actually on the rise with some of these big oil companies. So if you are looking for an area that's holding up on the earnings front, it is in energy. So uh, might want to check out that earnings report coming up, ticker XOM again. I did mention Meta Platforms. Um, I did sell all mine, as I mentioned a couple months ago, but I did own it for about nine years. So that's Meta, M-E-T-A. We did mention NVIDIA, always a favorite of Kevin's here, and he still likes it, but you're on the sidelines, right, Kevin, on NVIDIA? Yes. Yeah, I sold yeah. it a couple of months ago and waiting to buy some. But again, long-term investors should be nibbling here. 
Okay, ticker NVDA. We mentioned Microsoft just around, uh, you know, being one of the leaders of the last bull, and that's ticker MSFT. I still own that one in my own personal portfolio. Then we talked about a couple of the healthcare stocks, UNH, um, United Healthcare, ticker UNH. I mentioned Centene. I've mentioned it on a prior Value Investor podcast. That's CNC. We mentioned Biogen because of their big Alzheimer's uh, announcement. BIIB is the ticker there. And doesn't Eli Lilly's in like some kind of uh, partnership yes. with them, aren't they on that? No, uh, LLY. No, yeah, LLY. Lilly has their own formulation. Oh, um, uh, Biogen's partner in uh, the new drug is uh, a Japanese, big Japanese pharma. Oh, okay. And then we mentioned ARK-K. We threw in an ETF in there as a bonus at the end. And that's Kathy Wood's, Wood's flagship fund. It's down over the last year now, 65%. But um, who knows where the bottom will be on that one. That's ticker ARKK for the flagship fund. And as always, you want to be sure to subscribe to get all of our podcasts because we're talking about everything that's going on. We're trying to find you stocks areas that could see some benefits as the rates rise and uh, just everything that's going on out there. So be sure to subscribe. You can get us on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. You can get us on Amazon Music and on SoundCloud, but be sure to get us somewhere and I'll see you again next week with some more stocks. This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.